it doesn't take a degree in sociology to recognize that America, the American family, does not live in the leave-it-to-beaver society anymore. Things have changed in our culture, and in the last 50 years, the family unit, as we know it, has taken some hard knocks. For the next few weeks, we will be looking at the family and where it was and where it should be and how to have godly families in the culture that we live in. Since the 60s, church attendance has dropped steadily in our land. Church and family evidently is not what it once was in the minds of some people. Let me tell you what else has happened since the 60s. The divorce rate in America has increased 400%. The median age of divorce is 34 for men and 30 for women. That seems to be the numbers. The average marriage in America lasts about seven years. A 200% increase in the number of children who are raised in single-parent homes in our culture today. Today, 70% of preschool-aged children have mothers who work outside the home. 80% of our young people, our kids, come home to empty houses after school every day. 70% of the couples that were surveyed said they would not marry the same person again if they we're given the opportunity. 7.5 million couples in America go through violent episodes every year. My police friends tell me that one of the most dangerous things that they do on a daily basis is go to domestic issues in families in our great land. Some marriage counselors now estimate that as many as 70% of retired couples who stay together do so in a state of mutual hostility. This picture is of the Cotton Bowl here in America. Tonight, enough teenagers to fill the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, and a good year's Super Bowl. This many young people will practice prostitution tonight in America to support their drug habit. One million teenage girls will get pregnant out of wedlock this year. 500,000 of those girls will abort their babies. Of all the 14-year-old girls alive today, 40% will be pregnant by their 19th birthday. 60% of all church-involved teenagers are sexually active. 66% of all American High school seniors have used illegal drugs. And never 78 seconds in America, a teenager attempts suicide. So my question is, is there any hope for the family? I mean, is it time to throw in the towel? Is it time to go to bigger and better things if there were such a thing? We're trying to define marriage in our culture today, aren't we? What does that mean? One woman, one man, forever? 
That seems to be the biblical definition. However, our culture has bent and shaped that many, many times. In fact, in our culture, the nuclear family, same mom, same dad, together, forever. Same children from these two together. One out of six people in America fit into that category. That means that 83% come from a variety of situations. The traditional family in America is no longer the traditional family. It doesn't take a social psychologist to realize that the deterioration of the family has taken its toll emotionally on our children. This survey goes back to 1946. Are you ready for this? A survey was taken of high school teachers asking them to name the major offenses, difficulties that their children display in their school. Number seven, kids back in the day were not putting trash in the wastebasket at school. They had a tendency to miss the basket. Number six, they were wearing improper clothing back in the day. Number five, they were getting out of line or getting out of turn in line. They weren't doing the lines very well. Number four, they were running in the hallways. Number three, they were making noise. Number two, they were chewing gum. Oh, my gosh. And number one, the number one problem in 1946 was that young people were talking It was out of control. Fifty years later, what do you think the top offenses are in our school systems today? Number seven, suicide. Number six, murder. Number five, arson. Number four, burglary. Number three, assault. Number two, robbery. And number one, rape. It's a different world that we live in today. And my question is, is there any hope for the family. Is it time to throw in the towel? Let me just start this series by saying there is always hope with God. It is never time to throw in the towel. And regardless of the situation that you're in right now or that your friends are in, I want us to go through some biblical principles today that can help you with your children no matter how old they are. Okay, so I always ask this question. Moms, when do you quit being mom? Never. Dads, this is your time to shine. When do you quit being dad? We have a responsibility as moms and dads. And if we want to be godly parents with godly homes, then we need to think differently, counterculturally to the world, I think. If you have your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we just saw it on the screen. In fact, the Bible says here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Here's where it gets personal. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. 
I hate to start this way, but let me just do it and be done with it. Mom and Dad, what kind of parent are you? Or what kind of parent have you been? I mean, some of you have kiddos at home, some not. Some they are gone, but evidently we are still mom and dad for how long? Forever. So we need to understand our purpose and our place, and we need to know what we need to do to do our part to make things better at our homes. So the first principle to build a strong, healthy family is this, let your children talk to you about God. I know your spiritual life is personal, and sometimes it's hard for us to talk about spiritual things. Okay, guys, this is kind of where we really fall short. We might teach our kids to throw a curveball or to hit one, or at least try to. We might teach them how to run fast and maybe shoot to three or duck when it's time to duck. We might teach them how to work hard, and those are, those are all good things. But when it comes to spiritual thing, evidently in the Bible, the Word of God says that it is the male's role to teach and train. And I wonder how good we are at that. For example... Guys, especially our kids need to see us praying. They need to see us in worship. They need to see us loving and serving a God that we claim to know. It's not enough to talk about it. They just need to see some action attached to those those things. Not too long ago, I read about a man who had died and at the funeral... The minister was describing a man that was very active in his church very loving and very kind and very compassionate he said that he taught Sunday school regularly it was said that he worked in the soup kitchens in their city and he organized and involved himself in a number of mission and service projects the kicker was he he really never did much around the house in terms of spiritual things The minister went on to describe this man and his family life and how great he was and what kind of dad he must have been at home and how much he would be missed, not just at home, but at church. And after the services, his teenage son said, I was tempted to look in the coffin to see who the preacher was talking about because it didn't sound like my dad. And you know, today I wonder if our kids had a chance to write down or to speak their minds, their hearts about mom and dad and grandmas and grandpas. I wonder what would come out of their mouths, what they actually see. Evidently, 4,000 years ago, God said to Moses in verses 6 and 7, these commandments that I give you today are to be put upon your heart. They're to be lived out. Impress them on your children. Talk to them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up those are the kind of things that we need to talk to our kids about and I wonder moms and dads how much time we actually spend talking to our kids about church and about spiritual things and about godly living oh we talk to them when church isn't going right for us don't we 
We talk to them when things aren't where they ought to be in our minds, spiritually speaking. Because we have a tendency to, uh, to whine and to gripe and to discourage others, that seems to be the nature of the beast more times than not. And our kids pick up on those kind of things. You can't build a spiritually healthy family by just coming to church. That's a start, but it's not enough. It takes day in, day out lifestyle commitment. Your family, your children need to see ongoing evidence that God is a daily part of your life and you need to be open and talking to them about it regularly. More than just talking about it, we need to do something and we need to establish some rituals for our family. Now this is kind of a weird thing, rituals. By that I mean good habits. They can be easy things. For years here on Sunday morning, I like to take Debbie out for lunch at noon so she doesn't have to worry about making food for us on a busy day. Many, many years ago when the family got into the car, a lot of times people could choose where we went, but if no one said anything, I headed for Logan's on the west side until someone came up with a better solution. And if they came up with no solution, that's where we ended up, Logan's on the west side. I've said before, when I'm rich and famous, I'm going to have a whole chain of restaurants. It's going to be entitled, I don't care. So when people say, where do you want to go to eat? And they say, I don't care. I can say, I know right where that's at. First thing on the menu we're going to serve is, I don't know. So when the waitress says, what do you want to eat? And you say, I don't know. I can say, we got that. Logan's on the west side. To this day, after church today, if Debbie doesn't come up with a better solution, we're heading for Logan's on the west side. Now it has become a ritual. The boys may call from Champaign, or they may call from New Albany area, and they say, hey, Dad, we're eating lunch today. I said, I'm at Logan's. Where are you? We're at Logan's, too. It's kind of crazy. The Jewish people are known for their rituals, their habits, their traditions. Deuteronomy 6, verses 8 and 9 mentions two of these rituals. Verse 8, tie them, tie God's commandments as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. As a result of this command, the Jewish people developed a custom of wearing little pouches on their person filled with scripture references. So if they were out and their camel was acting up, instead of losing it, they may just kind of touch the pouch. Or maybe if they were waiting in line and their bread is dropped on the ground, maybe instead of losing it, they just kind of touched the pouch and reminded them that God was still in control of who they were and where they were going. In our culture, we don't tie commandments on our foreheads or wear them on our hands, but we do have jewelry that has crosses in them, and sometimes we put them in our ears, and sometimes we wear them around our necks, and sometimes we tattoo them on our bodies. We don't really use these symbols to discuss Jesus or spiritual things. We just think it makes us look pretty, don't we? Hey, that's a nice necklace. Thanks. What's it mean? I don't know. I got it for my birthday. It really came to life with them. In fact, these symbols they used to describe to their children spiritual things and discuss spiritual things. 
Verse 9, write them on the door frames of your house and gates. Anybody here, if you went home today and started writing scripture on your walls, would you be in trouble? I'm here to tell you, yeah. We don't do that kind of thing now, do we? Get in trouble for that. This refers to what is called in Jewish culture, mezuzah, which was a container of biblical text attached to the right hand of the doorframe as they left the house. And they might go out of the house and they might pat the can or the pouch or whatever it was to remind them that as they left the house, they were going to do things God's way. That'd be weird in our culture, wouldn't it? Anybody here grew up in the sporting world? A lot of times when you leave the locker room or when you leave your area, there's a sign or signs, and if you watch any major sporting event, you will see these big monsters walking through the tunnel, tapping those signs. Leave it all on the field. Remember who you are. They do it in the sports world. We don't do that much at home. In fact, at home, we can't find our Bibles half the time, can, can we? We just had the Bible by the door. Okay, let's do it. Let's go. We don't think that way in our culture, but back in the Jewish culture, they did things physically to remind them of who they were. And even though rituals can become meaningless repetition, the fact is some things need to be repeated over and over and over again. I like the story of the young bride who always cut the ends off of her roast before she put it in her pan to cook for family functions. Her husband it drove him crazy, and he said, why do you do this? And she said, my mom always did it. So at the next family outing, he said, hey, mama, why do you always cut the ends off the roast? And she says, I do it because my pan's kind of small, and it needs to fit into my pan. Didn't make the roast taste any better. She just had a small pan, so this young bride was cutting off the ends of her roast just because mama used to do it. She had no idea why. Family rituals. Maybe reading to your children, maybe having special things to do at bedtime, maybe when you were on trips, maybe spending time with your kiddos in recreation and play. I used to hate spelling tests when my boys were little. They called it back then word power. I don't know what they call it now. I have my own names for it. Cannot remember how many times I fell asleep in their bed going over spelling words. And I figure whatever they got, they got. Whatever they missed, they would get in osmosis at night as they slept on those words. Some of the greatest times that we spent together was over dumb spelling words. Sometimes it's praying, Dad's when was the last time you went and tucked your kiddos into bed and prayed with them and maybe read with them a story or two. It's now gone to our grandkids, and when it's bedtime, they'll do whatever they can to disrupt the process. You don't read just one story. You may have to read five. You don't just sing one song. It may be several. But some of the greatest times that you can spend with your grandbabies is tucking them in and praying with them or listening to them pray to a God of creation. Rituals, good habits, traditions, they're crucial to building up good, healthy families because they communicate to your children ongoing evidence that God is an active part of your life, and that's kind of where it needs to start. 
The third principle, encourage your family to learn from your example. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, this is a tough act to follow here. You need to talk a certain way in front of your kids, don't you? Back when our boys were little, I would always encourage them to speak to their mom in a certain fashion. That meant that I could not speak to their mom in a way that was negative because they would pick up and repeat things like me. They had to see me running a vacuum sweeper. I mean, this is not rocket science. Debbie and I both worked. When we came home, there were chores to be done. So that meant that I needed to do some things now and then. I have taught Maddie Grace to say, Poppy, couch time. And that means I'm hanging out on the couch. Now, when she doesn't want me to have couch time, she'll say, no couch time for you, Poppy. Let's play. Debbie doesn't let me close to the laundry because I can goof it up pretty quick. Some of the things that I did early in our marriage, she still shakes her head at, so I don't do the laundry. But there's a lot of other things I can do. It's not rocket science. Sometimes I just take that yellow lemon pledge, and now we have dust rags. We have a new dust rag you don't even use pledge with. You use water. Now, this is America, you know. Used to, I would just shake that can and just spray it a little bit. And she would come home and go, you've been dusting? Whatever you think. Doesn't take rocket science to dust things, even with water rags now. It's amazing. Like it or not, hang on to your seats here. Your kids are a lot like you. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're a lot like you. Kiddos, believe it or not, someday you're going to be a lot like your mom and dad. You're already getting there. It's kind of a natural product. How many of you who are a little bit older, how many times have you caught yourself talking to your children the same way your mama or your daddy talked to you? And it scares you, doesn't it? Oh no, i become my dad. Or i become my mom. Now kids will do anything not to look like you, guarantee it. But there are some things that you need to teach them that will linger on long after you are gone because they are the important things. Have you ever heard it said that the fruit doesn't fall far from what? Tree. Last time Prison was in town, we went golfing. He'd never been on a big golf course. He'd always say, Poppy, someday will I go on a big golf course with you? Now he's just four. So I thought, well, today was the day. So we went. Took us a long time. We played nine holes, but man, he got his swings in. Me too. I would have him stand at a certain spot. That way I knew where he was. I knew I wouldn't conk him in the head, and he wouldn't conk me. And it was a great day. We got in late. He missed his supper kind of late. He was kind of grouchy, but we had a great day. I said, remember, no matter what happens, Preston, we come home, you beat Poppy today. He said, yeah. Granddad took his little grandson golfing, and when they got home, the family was outside having a picnic. The little guy was playing with his golf clubs, and things got interesting. He swung, and he missed the ball, and he threw his club, and then he said some choice words, some adult words. And they were all over the little guy, and said, hey, where'd you learn that? And he said, that's the way Poppy plays. Interesting what they pick up on. How you treat strangers, how you deal with stress, how you 
react when you're mad and watching you to see how you keep your promises and how to speak to someone with love. Let me encourage you to encourage your children to watch you, your grandchildren to watch you. Because they learn a lot by what they see and they learn a lot about who you are. I want to show you something here today. This represents your life and my life. These little guys here, they represent the little things in life that kind of distract and suck up our time. You know what I'm talking about? For some of you, maybe half of these would be Facebook. The time that you spend on Facebook, I'll let you determine if that's true for you. It may be the time that you spend on the internet. It might be the time that you spend watching TV. It might be that extra round of golf that you spend when you need to be somewhere doing something else. It might be shopping. It might be shopping online. It might be driving through those car lots and looking at cars that you really can't afford. It might be driving through neighborhoods and looking at houses that you'll probably never live in. It's the things that we enjoy to do, but we just don't want to quit doing it. And for all of us, these things are different things, but they really take up a whole lot of our time. What we really ought to be focusing in on are the big things, the big rocks, if I could use that terminology. Maybe your kids, and maybe it's just, you know, teaching your kids to know what the big rocks are in your life. Ooh, this is a big boy. Maybe this represents your spouse. And surely they ought to take a great deal of your time, shouldn't they? Why don't you just look at your spouse right now and say, honey, you're my big rock. Okay, okay, well maybe, not, maybe not so much. Maybe it's your job. Job's pretty significant, pretty important. Maybe that's a big, big rock thing that you need to have in your life. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe you're a student and you need to devote a great deal of your time to study. And maybe that could be a big rock in your life. Maybe it's friendships. Maybe it's spiritual things. Maybe it's your church involvement. That ought to be a pretty big deal in your life, shouldn't it? Maybe it's the exercise rock or the hobby rock, those things that kind of take up most of your time. You know, I don't know what these rocks represent for you, but you need to understand and determine What are the big rocks in your life? Can we make a promise for the next four weeks to try to figure this thing out? What's really important and where they need to line up in your life because I think that jobs, I think family, I think your spouse, I think these are pretty big deals. And I think that they need to have the special time donated to them. I think your children deserve your time. I wonder how many meals you have missed simply because you were just too busy somewhere else. You see, what we have found out is that busyness disrupts intimacy. Are you with me there? And I want you to remember that priority determines capacity. I know those are two big things to kind of understand, but once we begin to understand life this way, things kind of begin to fall into place. And once we have things falling into place the way God would have them fall into place, not done yet, 
things begin to work out. And you know what's important is once we get the important things in first, everything else begins to kind of fall into place. And I don't know what the important things are for you. I think I could sit down with you and in three minutes help you determine that. But when it comes to family, when it comes to the way we do life, we need to understand there is a priority. Busyness destroys intimacy. And also priority determines what? Capacity. Listen to these final statistics. In America, the United States, one out of two marriages in a divorce. However, if both male and female, husband and wife, if they are both in church together, it's one out of 50 in the divorce. In America, if mom and dad are both in church, if they read and pray, their, and, and, pray and, and study together, if they attend church together, then one in 1,105 end in divorce. So let me just say this. If you do nothing else, just do the math, folks. I mean, it's pretty easy. We need to understand what's really important. And we need to understand that there is so much in our life that's been sucked away and directed by things that aren't really important. All things we like to do, but just not very important. These next few weeks, I want to share with you some things that I think are big rocks, or they ought to be big rocks in our life. I want you to pray this week that God could open your eyes and help you analyze things in your life. And this kind of stuff, even though we like to do it, just remember that priority determines what? Capacity. They didn't fit the other way, did they? This way they fit pretty easy, and there's still some room left over. And if you don't know what to do with the leftover room, Call your preacher. He's probably got a few things that you could do around this place as we stand, as we sing.